Hey, Keith, how's it going, my man? Good, man. How are you? Fine. So, uh, hello, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of the Dodgers, Lakers, Patriots, and Rams podcast. I'm your host, Laura Antonio. And today on our MLB segment, we will preview what's in store for the Atlanta Braves and the Washington Nationals in 2019. Along with in the NFL segment, we'll talk about what's in store in the offseason for the Baltimore Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then for the NBA, we'll we'll preview NBA Wednesday and also preview uh, tonight's Laker game against the Pelicans. So first things first, we'll start with the MLB segment. And let's start talking about the Atlanta Braves. Before we get to that, um, let's talk about some some news and notes around the MLB. First off, the Giants met again with Bryce Harper along with Aaron Hicks getting a contract extension. And we talked about this in previous episodes that Nolan Arenado is now has signed an eight-year extension to remain a Colorado Rocky for, for life. So what were your reactions on those? Well, Arenado, that, that's deserved. And, you know, we, we talked about it multiple times across the episodes, and I've said this multiple times that, you know, when you, when you have a player like him who is a top-five player at his position and a top-ten player in baseball, he deserves to be paid. And, you know, he's going to be making $32.5 million a year now, eight years, $260 million he signed. And I, I couldn't be happier for him. I couldn't be happier for the Rockies organization. They have their face of the franchise. He's young. He's a great two-way player. Um, and he's going to continue to propel the Rockies into the playoff race for uh, many years to come. Uh, the this Harper thing goes, um, it's, it, it's interesting because now he's starting to fall into the exact same category uh, that I kind of thought about with Machado, which is this is now just strictly about the money. Um, at this point, I'm convinced that he used the Philadelphia Phillies as kind of a pawn um, to, you know, and a bargaining chip to get higher offers from both the Giants and the Dodgers. Um, you know, now that I kind of have the impression that he was really, you know, really swaying West coast, which it makes a lot of sense. He's got a lot of wet, you know, he's obviously from Las Vegas. He's got a lot of West coast ties and whatnot. Um, but you know, to me, if he signs with the giants, he's going to pretty much be in the same boat that Machado's in. You're not getting past the Dodgers. You're not getting past the Rockies. And I, I could argue that the Giants are in a worse position right now than what the San Diego Padres are in because they have a lot of aging stars. Um, you know, Madison Bumgarner, to me, is a guy that's not going to stick around too long. Uh, Evan Longoria is, you know, starting to is starting to show his age. He really showed his age last year. Um, obviously, Brandon Crawford is a really, really nice player. And Buster Posey's getting older now. So I, I think, you know, I could argue that the state of the Giants is actually worse than the state of the Padres because the Padres at least have so many great young guys. Gore, uh, Tatis Jr., Francisco Mejia, uh, Luis Urias. Um, they're in a better position now than the Giants are. So to me, what Machado's doing is gonna, is essentially what now Harper's doing. It's kind of, They're just pretty much going for the highest amount of money and they're going to be wasting the first four or five years of their career. Um, and then as far as the Aaron Hicks contract goes um i like aaron hicks i think that one was a little bit too big for my taste 10 million a year um obviously he's one of the best defensive center fielders in the game has a rocket of an arm um and he can he can surely hit for some power do i look at him as a guy that's a 10 million dollar 
um, a year kind of guy, not necessarily, but other people may disagree with me. Um, do I think that it's nice that now they have some continuity in their outfield? Sure. You know, now you have Hicks on a long-term deal. Um, you know, obviously Stanton is, is there for a, a while and, you know, obviously they're going to probably re you know, extend judge, to get the maximum amount of money out of him. But now they've kind of log jam guys like Clint Frazier, who I would have loved to have seen get an opportunity at some point in that outfield. So, um, you know, th- those are my reactions to those three deals. Yeah. I do think when we, when we talk about the Yankees at a later date on an episode, we'll talk about Clint Frazier being the starting left fielder for the Yankees over uh, Brett Gardner. And um, I also sent you an article that, there was an unreport- unreported uh, thing about Harper signing with the Dodgers and getting a physical. When I sent that to you, it was fake news from what I saw. Yeah, yeah, that that's complete fake news. Um, you know, I think that if he would have signed with the Dodgers, that would have been highly publicized. You know, there's no way that a guy like Bryce Harper and an organization like the Los Angeles Dodgers would be able to have any chance of keeping something like that quiet, especially because that deal would most likely be lucrative. So it's not even just like it's a a high-profile player going to a high-profile organization. It's both of those things along with the fact that that contract is going to be massive. So those aren't things that you can sweep under the rug. So I I don't buy that for one second. Yeah, I I don't – in the end, I see the Dodgers being out of the Bryce Harper sweepstakes. Mm -hmm. No, me too. And and for me, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense, that fit. I mean, number one – if you're going to if they had any intentions of signing Bryce Harper to me that was completely thrown away when they decided to sign AJ Pollock and then number 2 if you're going to sign Bryce Harper now then what are you going to do with Alex Verdugo because he's going to be stuck behind uh Pollock and Harper for the next 4 years you know obviously with with Pollock's deal being that long so to me it just it wouldn't really make a whole lot of sense that's why for me it boiled down to more so the Phillies and the Giants, and I, I think that Bryce Harper's picking the, uh, the the worst option of the two, obviously going for more money. Yeah, I, so but, but, but what you're saying, Keith, is you don't see you, – you, you expect the Dodgers to be out of the Bryce Harper sweepstakes. I do. For me, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense because, like I said, you do, I, I think – to me, what opened up the possibility of them getting Bryce Harper in the first place was when they traded away Matt Campignasiel Puig. To me, that was their opening to sign Bryce Harper. But then they go out and they sign A.J. Pollock to a long-term deal. And now they're pretty much expected to have um, Alex Verdugo be starting in their outfield. To me, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Because then what are you doing with Alex Verdugo? Because then the next question is, he's such an unbelie- he's an unbelievable prospect. Do we want him to sit there for four years and keep developing? Or can we get something really, really good out of him in a trade? And I don't think that they want to trade him. I certainly wouldn't do that. So it, it just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense for me, for me as far as like the Dodgers standpoint is concerned. Yeah, and uh, speaking of the Dodgers, we'll, we'll we'll talk about that later. We'll talk about later. I changed my mind on what the lineup will look like, which features Alex Verdugo leading off. So uh, we're gonna get to that in a few in just a, in just and we'll get to that a little li- a little later. So for me, Dodgers out of the Harper sweepstakes. It's gonna come down to the Phillies or the Giants for Harper. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think that Bryce Harper would be crazy to pick the, the San Francisco Giants. Um, you know, obviously the Phillies have a lot of money, 
um, to be able to give him, and they have a much better situation as far as their built, uh, you know, their their roster construction on the major league level is concerned. Um, now, look, if the Phillies don't get Bryce Harper, it's obviously not the end of the world because everybody knows that there's a one million percent chance that Mike Trout's pretty much coming to the Phillies in a couple of years. So it's not the end of the world if Bryce Harper turns around and says, "No, I don't want to play for you." But at the same time, I look at it from Harper's perspective and. I can get my money or I can get my money and I can be on a competitive team that's going to have a playoff, you know, that that's going to make a playoff push. And I'm choosing the money and the playoff push, not just the money. Yeah. And uh, with that being said here, um, I, I think I think if Harper goes to the Giants, that means he could hit behind uh, Buster Posey. And and I, I, I think it's going to be one of those two that will, will land Harper by the end of the week. Yeah, it, it's pretty much going to be I, I think it's going to really boiled down to, and this is what I I think was really stalling the negotiations between him and the Philadelphia Phillies. It's not necessarily so much the money. It's going to boil down to, I think, where that opt-out clause is going to lie. Because where they really had a standstill, uh, it was reported between the Phillies and the uh, and Bryce Harper's camp was where is that opt-out clause going to lie? Because Bryce Harper wanted it at about the three to four year mark. Maybe the Phillies wanted it somewhere later. Um, I do agree with you that Harper's going to sign to one of those two teams by the end of the week. And if I had to choose one, it would, it would be Philadelphia. I would not want to see him in a Giants uniform since I, I, as a Dodger fan myself, I don't like the Giants. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I could certainly see it from that perspective. I think as far as team setup goes and, and chances to compete, um, you know, Bryce Harper is obviously looked at as one of the most competitive guys in baseball. And if you're truly going to embody that image, then you're going to the Philadelphia Phillies and you're making that lineup better with Reese Hoskins. And you're going out there and you're competing for an NL East crown because that division is a log jam. And even though I still think the Braves are going to win it, as far as I'm concerned, it's wide open. I th- but there was also rumors that Harper doesn't want to play for Gabe Kapler because Gabe Kapler is a guy that is always driven into the analytics. I think that's fake news because I think Harper is going to end up with the Phillies, and I think he and Gabe Kapler will get along just fine. Well, then, if if that analytics thing is a real report, which I believe you, my argument to that is look at who the Giants just brought into their front office, Farhan Zaidi, and that dude is that, – that guy is being – that guy's known around baseball for being one of the major drivers of analytics in the modern day game. So if that's going to be your argument against Gabe Kapler, then why would you go play with the San Francisco Giants whose front office is built around analytical analysis? That doesn't make any sense. So you're choosing you're choosing Harper to the Phillies. I, I am um, out with Gabe Kapler. I am. I, I think that that gave, I think that that is just a. I, I think that's a real nitpicky thing to do. I think that's completely ridiculous because no matter what organization he goes to, whether it's the whether it's the Giants or the Phillies, there's going to be some sort of there, there's going to be some sort of mix of analytics in there. So I, I mean, you know, for that to be your biggest problem, I, I think that's something you can get over. I think Bryce Harper could get over it once he signs his contract with the Phillies, and I think he and Gabe Kapler will sort it all out and get it get get along just fine. Yeah. Plus, Gabe Kapler is a, you know he, he's a young guy, he's a personable guy. So, I mean, I can't imagine as far as you know their their interactions are concerned that they would have any problems. Absolutely. Now that being said, now that we talked about Harper, most likely either with the Phillies or the Giants, um, not, let's dive into what we're going to talk about today with our 2019 MLB season previews. 
And let's talk about the Atlanta Braves. As you said, the Atlanta Braves, they're the favorites to win the NL East. And t- with talking about their biggest additions that they got, one of them was, a- was adding Josh Donaldson and then bringing back Nick Marcakis and bringing back Brian McCann. Yeah, I love all three of those. Um, obviously, Marcakis has been excellent for them uh, over the course of the deal that he originally had. Now he re-signs a new one. Uh, was an all-star last year. Was really great. Donaldson is a steal. Donaldson is an absolute steal because this is a dude that can put up MVP caliber numbers when he's healthy. Last year he had some health issues, but you get him on a nice one-year deal. You slide him in the middle of that lineup, and he can give you 30 to 35 home runs, and he makes that lineup much scarier, and he gives you gold glove defense at third base. Uh, again, I this is all predicated on him being healthy. He had some health issues last year, like I mentioned, but you know, getting him back is obviously important. And then Brian McCann, I, I love the nostalgia there. I really love to see it. I remember when Brian McCann first, you know, came up as, as an Atlanta brave. And I, I remember watching him and Chipper Jones in the middle of a lineup. I, I, you know, I hated watching it because they would destroy us, but um, you know, certainly that's awesome. And, you know, I, I think that's. I think you and I can both agree that bringing him in, even at his age, is a much better option to start behind the plate than Tyler Flowers. Yeah, and McCann could really be a mentor and a leader of this clubhouse to these young guys. I think it'll make Ronald Acuna Jr. and Dansby Swanson and Ozzy Albies look up to McCann. Oh, definitely, and it certainly helps out Freddie Freeman as well. He's a guy that's starting to become a leader of that clubhouse. Um, you know, we obviously know that he's one of the, the fran- obviously the face of the franchise at the current moment. But, you know, it takes more pressure off of Freddie Freeman to be able to lead these guys because Freddie Freeman is still relatively young. You know, you bring in a guy like Brian McCann who, um, you know, is an older guy, obviously has a tremendous amount of postseason experience. Um, he's, you know, like you said, he's going to help out these young guys in Acuna and Albies and Swanson and, you know, hopefully be able to take their games to the next level. And let's break down into the rotation for the Braves. I think Julio Tehran's going to be the opening day starter. Sean Newcomb will start after him. Then Fulte will start day three. And then Gosman will, will be the fourth starter. And then Toussaint will be the uh, fifth starter to round out the Braves rotation. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that Tehran is going to end up taking the opening day start. I actually think that Fultonevich, with the way that he pitched last season, earned himself a top-tier rotation status, so I put him at number two. I have Sean Newcomb at three uh, with Gosman and Toussaint like you to round out the rotation. I'm really excited about a full year of Tuki Toussaint. That kid's stuff is fantastic. One of the better breaking balls that I've seen out of a young prospect in a while. Um, he's certainly going to be exciting, and they have a lot of really good young arms, obviously with a guy also in Tehran at the top of that rotation with some experience and a guy that can really carry innings for this ball club. Yeah, the, there's some moments that Julio Te- – there were some years that Tehran has had a very bad year and all that, but really, like you mentioned, Fulton Evich is a guy that's turning out to be a top three guy in the rotation. Sean Newcomb is, is, is young, but a guy that's going to get better. But if you look, turn to the bullpen with Minter and Venters as the seventh and eighth inning guy, Vizcaino is just going to get better. Oh, yeah. Vizcaino is an absolutely electric arm, and I think he'll continue to settle easily into that closers role. Um, obviously has the stuff for it, like I said. Um, but, you know, another year under the belt can really only benefit him. And obviously he's got two guys protecting him in, in Venters, who is a, a really, really great experienced guy. Loved seeing him. Uh, be able to come back last year after those tremendous amount of injuries that he had. And A.J. Minter is an electric left-handed arm, absolutely electric, high 90s fastball from the left side, good breaking ball. 
Um, you know, really, really nice, ideal eighth inning type of guy, dynamic stuff to lead up to a guy in this guy, Ana, who can hit over triple digits. Yeah, and I think this Braves team's going to win the division still. If the Phillies even get Bryce Harper, assuming they do, the Phillies, I think, will give the Braves their run for their money. Yeah, this division's going to be incredibly close all the way around. Um, like you said, I still like the Braves to win this division up and down their roster. Um, it, it's so it's it's so incredibly balanced because you have guys, great power guys in the middle with Donaldson and Freeman. Um, obviously, Acuna has shown that he has 30-35 home run power. You have a guy in NCR type and Marquecas who are, are contact hitters, guys that can hit at the top of the order, table setters, also really, really elite defenders at their position. Um, you know, a guy in Brian McCann back behind the plate who is great at calling a game, good with pitching stats, obviously have some power from the uh, – from the left side of the play. Albies is going to continue to grow into a really, really nice switch hitter. Swan Dansby Swanson is obviously a gold glove level shortstop. I think we have known that for a long time, even when he was at Vanderbilt. Still is a long way to go as far as his offense is concerned. And then you talk and then, you know, the rotation has really, really nice arms. They have three electric arms at the back end of the bullpen. This team, to me, if they all stay healthy, has the most balance out of every single team in the NL East. And that that's really one of the reasons why I picked them to be able to to win this division again. Yeah. And uh, I didn't think the Braves made any dumb offseason moves, but. I'll give a shout out to my friend who also likes the Braves and uh, Dansby Swanson and, uh, and my friend Dinah, who if she's listening right now, she would agree that we both think that this is the year that we think Dansby Swanson's going to break out. And I, and if her, and her friend also likes Dansby Swanson too. And, and has a lot of Dansby Swanson memorabilia. So I think my pick for my breakout player on the Atlanta Braves is Dansby Swanson. Yeah, I certainly, you know, like I said, he has a lot of room to grow offensively. Um, You know, I I think you can you can see the potential, you know, short swing, compact, you know, nothing crazy going on. No ridiculous movement. Um, You know, he's a guy that with that swing, you can only have power grow into. Um, And then obviously he's an elite level defender at shortstop. Great hands, great range, strong throwing arm, great instincts. Um, smooth turning a double play, good footwork around the second base bag. Um, you know, for me, I, I think just adding McCann and adding Donaldson is going to even help him more. Further protection, I have him hitting at the eighth spot in my lineup, uh, in my projective lineup for the Braves. You know, not too much pressure on him to go out there and, and you know, put up insane numbers. He's going to get a lot more fastball sitting down at the eighth spot in the order. And I think that's going to allow him to get his swing into a good rhythm and, and propel him to a nice season. Absolutely. So my projected lineup for the Atlanta Braves is I have Ender Enciarte leading off. And then I have Ronald Acuna Jr., the reigning National League Rookie of the Year, batting second. Then Freddie Freeman hits third. Then Josh Donaldson hits fourth. Nick Marquez hits fifth. Then Brian McCann hits sixth. Then Ozzy Albies hits seventh, and then Dansby Swanson hits eighth. We pretty much have the same exact lineup. All I did was I flipped up Albies and McCann, and that that's I, and that's no knock on Brian McCann. I just simply have the idea of you know my catchers batting a little bit lower in the order, um, and I think that Albies is a guy because of the fact that he's a switch hitter. Um, you know, in five six RBI situations, he's you know much you know he's he's uh you know he's he's much more resistant to matchups um and obviously he's a guy that in that ballpark he has a lot of gap power he's got good speed can hit doubles triples 
uh, slap the ball down the line. You know, he's a good, you know, close situation contact guy, be able to, you know, take the ball where it's pitched in those type of RBI situations. Whereas, you know, you throw a guy like McCann in that sixth spot, he'll provide you great power from that spot. But if you're, you know, if, if early on in the game and I need a, I need a clutch RBI second and third two outs, and he's got a lefty pitcher on the bump on that particular day, especially, uh, you know, a more high profile arm, say they're facing the Braves for it and uh, the, uh, excuse me, the Giants, for instance, and they got Madison Bumgarner on the mound. I take him out of that situation immediately by putting Albies ahead of him in the order. And plus, you know, at his age, 34, I'm, you know, I, I don't expect McCann to have a down season, but I don't have insanely high expectations for him. So putting him a little bit lower in the order, you know, puts that pressure off of him to be that older veteran that has to come in and, you know, overswing and contribute. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, that's that's for sure there, but really talk about guys like who are like Akike and uh, Chris Taylor on the Braves, Johan Camargo and Charlie Culberson. Charlie Culberson used to be a Dodger, good bench option Charlie... there, and also uh, Adam Duvall. Oh yeah, yeah, Adam Duvall is a guy that a, a lot of people forget. He this is a guy that had thirty home runs a few years ago. He's a great. Uh, he, he's a great power bat from the right side, versatile infielder as well. He can play second. He can play third. He can play first. Um, Culberson, obviously a guy you're very familiar with. He can, you know, move anywhere pretty much around the diamond, um, you know, underrated hitter as well. I think he has a lot more power than people give him credit for. Um, they, you know, like, like I said, with the Braves, they have really, really good balance. Um, and you know, that that's not just in their starting lineup. You know, you have guys like Duvall, guys like Charlie Culberson, you know, who can pretty much swing anywhere around the field. They can hit, you know, in different parts of the lineup. It, it, it makes this team so much better. Oh, absolutely. It does make the, uh, the Braves a lot better. And uh, we'll be talking about them a lot during the, uh, during our episodes, like when the Mets play the Braves in the regular season and when the Dodgers actually play an NLDS rematch with the Braves in May. So with that being said, Let's move on now to the Washington Nationals. So, really, it's most likely they're going to lose Bryce Harper. And I think the biggest offseason move they got was Anibal Sanchez, Patrick Corbin, trading for Kyle Bearclaw after the season ended, and adding Trevor Rosenthal to the back end of the bullpen to compliment Sean Doolittle as the closer. Yeah, I think adding Trevor Rosenthal was an incredibly underrated move. Um, you know, obviously we know of his fall from grace uh, as the as the Cardinals closer, but this is a high this is a high velocity arm, and then obviously you add another guy in Kyle Bearclaw who can you know obviously hit get up there in, in velocity and do little is obviously a great closer. You have three guys at the at the back end of that bullpen that have late inning experience with. You know, obviously, do little and, and Rosenthal being closers. Um, I like Patrick Corbin as their number three starter. He's a, a tremendous weapon uh, from the left side, which I, I think, you know, w- with the exception of a couple of good years from Gio Gonzalez, the Nationals have really lacked a quality lefty starter uh, that can go out there for 25, 30 starts on a consistent basis and give you good numbers. So Corbin gives you that. Um, obviously, Anibal Sanchez, you throw him in there, veteran guy that can give you innings. I love him replacing Tanner Roark. I was never I, – I may sound biased as a Mets fan, but I was never really a big Tanner Roark guy. So you take him out of there. And then I think the young right-hander Joe Ross has a chance to break into that rotation. So my rotation for them looks like Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin, Sanchez, and Joe Ross at the five. And they – oh, Joe Ross could likely be in the bullpen because the Nationals just re-signed Jeremy Hellickson. 
Oh, they did. I didn't even know that. Okay, yeah. Then all right. Then Hellickson slides right in there at that five. Hellickson is a you know a good innings guy to have at the five. Obviously, an experienced guy. Um, now that you mention it, throw Joe Ross in the bullpen. He's a good long guy. He can give you some innings. Yeah. So my rotation is pretty much the same, but I add Jeremy Hellickson in there. Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin, Sanchez, and uh, and Hellickson and. Obviously, expect Max Scherzer to be the opening day starter, starting pitcher for the Washington Nationals. And I forgot to mention, the Nationals added a former Dodger and twin, Brian Dozier, who I think is going to help balance this lineup. Yeah, I think that's a that's a very very nice add. Obviously, with the uh, departure of Daniel Murphy when they traded him, um, good power guy to to have from the right side of the plate. Um, you know, I, I think my only issue right now when I take a look at the Nationals lineup is that it's very right-handed heavy. Um, but obviously, Dozier is a guy that gives you good defense. He's a, a power guy. Um, you know, he's not going to hit for a high average, obviously. Last year, I think he had a little bit of a down year. Um, but, you know, he's going to come into a Nationals team that's going to be ready to compete. I have him in my projected lineup for um, – for for the Washington Nationals, I have him hitting sixth. I think that's a good spot for him. He's a sneaky power guy. Obviously, he has the ability to hit 40 home runs. We've seen him do that uh, in Minnesota. Um, so I really like that signing for them. And, you know, my stepdad is a uh, Washington Nationals fan because he grew up in Washington, D.C., and if he's listening to us now um, – we we're, let's talk about the uh, growth of Juan Soto, and I think – how he's too good to have a sophomore slump, which I think Juan Soto is going to even get better this year. Oh, I, I could not agree with you more. Juan Soto is absolutely tremendous. Um, you know, he probably one of the best young prospects that I've seen the nationals produce may, since obviously Bryce Harper. Um, I mean, this dude came in and he's got such unbelievable power from the left side of the plate. Um, hits the ball to all fields, tremendous discipline, smooth swing from the left side, and a, a very underrated defender. Obviously, he's playing left field, um, it, you know, not a, a high leverage outfield position, but, you know, he's a guy that can move out there effectively, good routes to the baseball. And, you know, I, I agree with you 100%. This is a guy that is way too good, way too talented um, to be able to you know, suffer a sophomore slump. This guy's just going to continue to get better. I think he's going to end up providing them a 30, 35 home run season, all hundred plus RBIs for the Washington nationals. Now that Rice Harper is gone, most likely by the nationals. I see, I see Juan Soto taking the reins as the next franchise player of the Washington nationals. Once Ryan Zimmerman hangs it up. Oh, I agree with you. He's going to be there. He's going to be their guy. Uh, for many years to come, him and Victor Robles, I think, are going to be able to take over this organization. Um, obviously, I think very, I, I think very highly of Trey Turner. We'll see if he'll be able to reach that potential that I think he has, um, and and kind of join Soto and and Robles eventually on that level. Um, but you know, for next ten years, Soto is the face of this franchise, and that's a hell of a guy to have as your face of your franchise because he's a 30-35 home run threat. And he's going to be a guy that's going to give the NL East absolute fits. And I think, I think he's also a very fast base runner too. 
Yeah, yeah, he's a very, very effective base runner. He's not a guy I, – I don't think with the power that he has, he's going to be a guy that's going to obviously go out there and, and swipe 25 to 30 bags. But I think he's going to be – I think he's going to fall under that Goldschmidt territory where he's going to be mo- – you know, you're going to think of him as a 30-35 home run guy, but he'll steal you a sneaky 15 to 20 bags. And then my breakout player this year for the Washington Nationals is Victor Robles, and I put him – I put Victor Robles and Alex Verdugo in contention for rookie of the year, but obviously they lose out to Fernando Tatis Jr. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Um, I I have Robles jumping right in the lineup right away and contributing for them. Um, And then another breakout guy for me personally, um, and he's been in the major leagues for a while, but to me personally, and I've watched him for a few years, I don't think he's hit that ceiling yet that I know that he has because he has such tremendous power and ability in center field. And and that's Michael Taylor. I mean, Michael Taylor is a dude with tremendous all-around athleticism. And he's got a ceiling that, like I said, I, I have yet to see him reach. Obviously, there's been some... Um, you know, a, a log jam for them in, in the outfield, and he hasn't really been able to get as many opportunities as I would have liked. But I think this year he slides into the opening day lineup. You give this kid 500 at-bats and watch him go. I, I can't wait to see what he's going to be able to produce. Michael Taylor's a very productive player, but I have Michael Taylor being the Washington Nationals starting right fielder over Adam Eaton. Adam Eaton is a guy that's not consistently healthy. No, he's not. I, I don't have him in the lineup either. I have the outfield consisting of Soto, Robles, and and uh, and Taylor in whatever form or fashion you like. Me personally, I've seen Taylor play really, really well in center field, so I have him as their center fielder at the moment. So you have Robles in center with with the. Uh... I have Soto and left um, Soto and left Taylor in center, Robles in right. What were you saying again? I have Taylor in center uh, with Soto in left and Robles in right. Okay, so um, so i i could see i could see i could see Victor Robles moving over to right field and then just have Michael Taylor start in center over Adam Eaton. Yeah, to me, not only has Michael Taylor had so much experience in center field, but I think because of the way that he plays the outfield with the ground that he can cover, he's tremendous in the gaps. Um, I, I see him profiling a little bit more as a center fielder. Plus, I don't think of him as a rocket arm kind of guy, which is typically the guy that I would probably put in right field. Oh, of course. So that being said here is um, I think when you look at the uh, – when when you also – we also want to give a shout out to uh, one of my de- stepdad's favorite players on the Washington Nationals, and he loves this guy a lot, who I think is going to be at Washington Nationals for a long time, Anthony Rendon. Anthony Rendon has been a pain in my ass for the last five years. That dude is tremendous. I mean, he's he's probably one of the most underrated players in the game. If I had to give you a top 10 most underrated players list, he would certainly fall in that category. I mean, he's a tremendous two-way player, very smooth swing, smooth power, um, and an underrated defender at third base. And a, a guy that I, I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that he's been in Bryce Harper's shadow for as long as he has, he does not get nearly the recognition for his play that he deserves. Yeah, and also talk about out of the acquisitions, like you said, did you think Patrick Corbin was your favorite one over like Jan Gomes, Kurt Suzuki, Trevor and Trevor Rosenthal and Kyle Bearclaw? 
I really like what they did at the catcher's position, um, getting Gomes and Suzuki. Those are two guys that are, you know, proven catchers at the big league level. Both can hit. Obviously, Gomes is a, a you know, a more of a power guy uh, as opposed to just uh, to, to Suzuki, excuse me, who is more of a pure contact guy. But yeah, Patrick Corbin, I think, was the biggest acquisition for them. Like I mentioned, outside of a couple of nice years from Gio Gonzalez, they really haven't had that high-profile, great, established left-handed pitcher in their rotation for quite some time. A guy that can go out there and consistently give you good innings, 25, 30 starts, um, you know, two, you know, two, five to three ERA around that range. They haven't had that guy for a consistent period of time in a very long time. And obviously Corbin now has proven, uh, you know, a couple of years off of some injuries that he's back and, you know, his slider looks really good. His velocity is back to where it was. He's not an overpowering guy. He's anywhere from about 91 to 93, but he spots up really well and he goes deep into games. So I, I really like that signing for them. Yeah, I think, I, I think, I think uh, that's a good signing for the Nationals. So I'll give you my lineup for the Washington Nationals. So I have leading off and playing shortstop Trey Turner. Batting second is the center fielder Michael Taylor. Batting third is the left fielder Juan Soto. Batting fourth is the third baseman, Anthony Rendon. Batting fifth is the first baseman, Ryan Zimmerman. Batting sixth is the second baseman, Brian Dozier. Batting seventh is the catcher, Jan Gomes. And batting eighth is the right fielder, Victor Robles. We essentially have the same exact lineup. I just put Soto in the four spot and Rendon in the three spot. I find that uh, Soto with his 30, you know, with his tremendous power, I want him sitting in that cleanup spot. And for me, um, Anthony Rendon is such an incredibly versatile hitter that, you know, he, he profiles well as a three guy because he can smack in, you know, um, RBIs with, you know, just, just putting the ball down the line or up the middle with singles, or he can give you that tremendous pop uh, to, to the gaps or even home run power. But as far as pure power goes, I want my four hitter to have that tremendous pure power. And that's where I profile Juan Soto. Yeah, I, I changed my mind there. I'm going to flip uh, Anthony Rendon third and then put Juan Soto fourth because the cleanup hitter is a guy that is supposed to drive in the third, the, the three inning guy and a guy that could hit you home runs. Yeah, and Soto is certainly going to explode his power numbers even higher. I mean, he had a, a tremendous run of it last year. I think he... I, I can't remember exactly where he finished in this category, but I think it, I, I want to say it was second most home runs uh, in a single season by a rookie. It was, it was either second or third. I can't remember exactly where, but I expect those power numbers to go up even further this year. Even without Bryce Harper, the Washington Nationals are going to be a fantastic baseball team without Harper, especially. Oh yeah, no, they're they're still going to be able to compete again. I, I this is the Braves division to me, but there's no falling off for the Washington Nationals, especially with that you know with that starting rotation being the way it is. You know, you have Max Scherzer, a top five pitcher in baseball. Steven Strasburg is a top ten pitcher when he's healthy. Um, you know, Corbin is obviously a great guy, and then this lineup has no shortage of guys who can mash. So they're going to be perfectly fine. They're going to be competitive. Uh, even without Bryce Harper. Absolutely. Since they still have the pieces in the rotation, their bullpen's going to be a lot better this year. And they got up and coming stars at behind, hitting hitting as well. So um, we forgot to mention last week out of the new managers with new teams, uh, we left some people out like uh, before we talk about breaking our top five rotations and bullpens in 2019. So we forgot to mention Chris Woodward, who used to be a Dodgers third base coach, now the manager of the Rangers, and also Brad Osmus, who's had 
managerial experience. So let's start with Chris Woodward first. We'll talk, we're going to talk about the Rangers in a few weeks. So you think Chris Woodward's going to do a fantastic job managing this Texas Rangers ball club? Um, it's, it's interesting. Chris Woodward kind of breaks in in a situation where they, they have some pieces. I mean, they have some decent pieces. Obviously, you talk about, um, you know, Joey Gallo is a 40-home run guy. Nomar Mazzara is one of my favorite young players in the game. Um, they're going to have a young kid and Willie Calhoun come up sometime soon. Elvis Andrus and Rug, uh, Rugnet Odor have some experience, obviously, up the middle. They're good quality guys. Um, but as far as their pitching staff is concerned, their pitching staff is what kind of worries me a little bit. Um, you know, they have some they, they have some names that you, you probably know of. Mike Miner, Lance Lynn, Drew Smiley, you know, Edison Volquez, Shelby Miller. Um, they don't really have much of a bullpen, though, and, that, and that's what worries me. And the other thing that worries me is, you know, I mean, obviously we, we talk about the Seattle Mariners. They kind of, you know, training away everything. I, I don't really discount them in this situation, but you look at the top of that division right now. The Astros and the Athletics are monsters in that division. And they're certainly not going anywhere. And I think the angels are going to be pretty underrated this year. I, I, you know, the angels, I I think are probably somewhere between an 83 to 85 win team. Um, They're not obviously going to be in the top tier, but they're going to be extremely competitive. Um, So I, I still think that the Rangers have some work to do as far as building that roster goes. Um, But, you know, certainly getting a new face in there, getting a new guy in there, being able to send a new message uh, is definitely going to be important. It is going to be important. I think Chris Woodward will do a fantastic job managing the Texas Rangers. Obviously, I knew him from his time being the third base coach of the Dodgers. And talk about guys like I think I think how I see the Rangers depth, like an early preview of it. I see uh, Joey Gallo st- starting at first base and putting Willie Calhoun in left field. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, you know, I, I think Joey Gallo is, is is a pretty easy candidate for first base. I mean, obviously, he's been a third baseman for a, a majority of his career coming up through the minor leagues. So that transition really is not, you know, is not a, a super difficult one. Willie Calhoun is a, a nice young bat that you're obviously going to want to throw in that lineup. Um, an interesting signing to me, I, I think, for the Texas Rangers, and obviously we'll break this down a little bit more, and a guy that I think is going to end up helping out their young hitters pretty well is Hunter Pence. Um, you know, he, he's going to be a guy that I, I don't think he'll break into the starting lineup, obviously, but that's a dude who's won a couple of World Series rings. Um, he was at one point one of the better uh, offensive outfielders in the game of baseball, so he's going to be able to help out guys like Calhoun, um, you know, help modify the approach a little bit, hopefully for Joey Gallo, who I think has to stop striking out so damn much. He's kind of turning into Chris Davis a little bit for me, although I love him. Um, and, and, you know, he'll continue to help Mazar grow, obviously. Um, I, I mean, there's some, like I said, there's some decent pieces uh, here with the Texas Rangers. It's just they have, a, they, they still have a lot of stuff to figure out, mainly with their bullpen. Yeah, but really, they got a lot of talent hitting-wise, but really my favorite player when it comes to the Rangers is Ragnet Odor. I love Odor, and I loved Odor the moment he punched Jose Bautista in the face. That dude is a grinder. He's a gritty dude, but he's got some pop from the left side. I mean, he he is absolutely no joke hitting the baseball with, with tremendous power. He's one of the better power-hitting second basemen in the game, and he's obviously overlooked because he's sitting down there in Texas with you know kind of an average team, but that dude is no joke. At the second base, yeah, position. and and when he when he punched Jose Bautista, sent a message that Odor was the better hitting guy. You know, oh yeah, 
<laughs> quite literally. So now that we kind of talked about a little bit preview about what Chris Woodward has in store for the uh, Texas Rangers, um, now I'll tell you about what the Angels. Brad Osmus has managerial experience in the past when he managed with the Tigers, took him to the playoffs. Obviously, that didn't work out. He his his and then it went downhill from there. But do you see Brad Osmus doing pulling a Bill Belichick in baseball? Like this is a second chance for him to be a manager in, in the um, in the major leagues now. Yeah, I, I like Brad Osmus. I think that Brad Osmus is a guy that kind of you know got put in a little bit of a bad situation toward the end of his run um, with with the Detroit Tigers. Obviously, they had some guys that were getting older. Um, injuries to you know guys like Victor Martinez and Miguel Cabrera certainly didn't help his case. Uh, you know they ended up you know, trading away Justin Verlander, obviously Uh, they had some issues there, but you know, I I like him stepping in for the Los Angeles angels. You know, I love my, I loved Mike Sosha, uh, but for me, it was time, you know, as far as that relationship with him in the, uh, in the angels was concerned, I think that ran its course. Um, They had some great times there, but I take a look at the angels and this is, this is not a bad team. This is really not a bad team right here. I mean, I, I, I think that their starting rotation could be better. Um, but, you know, underrated move for them, signing Cody Allen to a, a short-term deal. That's a guy who's got, you know, tremendous closing experience. Um, you know, they, they go out and they get Jonathan Lucroy. Uh, they still have that outfield with Upton Trout and Calhoun that I really like. Otani's going to be able to start hitting this, you know, start hitting eventually at some point this year, prob- probably right from the get-go. Um, you know, you bring in Justin Bohr, who's a dude that's got tremendous power from the left side. Uh, Simmons played extremely well last year. Him and Cozart are going to be on the, uh, the left side of the infield. Um, that, uh, this is not a bad team. It's really not. The only problem is, is that they're sitting in a division where the A's are a 90-plus you know, run ball club and the Astros have a shot at making the World Series again. So I, I think that Awesomeness is going to be able to step in here and do some really good things. Um, I, I see this being an 83 to 85 win team that's fairly competitive and can maybe vie for a second wild card spot. Yeah, I think Brad Osmus is going to be able to turn this Angels team around. And I think I, I agree. I like Mike Sosha. He was a great manager for the Angels. He's done a lot for the Angels. But the, the organization with the Angels of Billy Epler and Arde Moreno, they were just they just wanted to change. Yeah. And I mean, you know what? That's OK. Things run their course. He was there for an extremely long time. Obviously, he won a World Series in 2002, brought a lot of great things to the city, but they hadn't been to the playoffs in a while. And obviously, the last time, the last time they were in 2015, they, they, you know, they lost in the first round of the Kansas City Royals. They just, it, it just wasn't enough. They weren't reaching the marks that they wanted to reach. And um, it, it's, it's even worse because they weren't reaching those marks and they have the best player in baseball and Mike Trout and, you know, I, I think bringing in Brad Ausmus now brings a new voice, new energy uh, to this team. And, you know, I, like I mentioned earlier, I think there's a 1 million percent chance that Mike Trout's going to the Phillies. So, you know, get what you can out of them in, in the next couple of years. And I like all, I, I think Brad Ausmus is going to make this team fairly competitive. And the and do you see the Angels giving Mike Trout a contract extension? I think they'll give I think they'll offer up the extension as they should. Um, I, you know, like I mentioned, I think he's going to go to the Philadelphia Phillies ultimately. So I can see him turning it down, uh, regardless of how big the extension is, which it's probably going to be huge considering it is Mike Trout. Um, but there, you know, he, he's pretty much going to go to the Phillies in a couple of years. So like I had said, 
get what you can out of him in the next couple of years, provide him in a com- you know with a competitive environment. You don't think he's going to be an angel for life? I do not. I, I think once his contract runs out, he's running straight to his uh you know his his hometown. Films. Yeah, because he's from he's around the area you grew up in, and he grew up near the Pennsylvania area. Yeah, he grew up in uh, Millville, New Jersey, which is about 30 to 45 minutes from me. It's around the Philadelphia area. He grew up a, a diehard Philly sports fan, obviously Phillies, Eagles, uh, Sixers. And, you know, he, you, you can see him every Sunday in, you know, front row seats of the Eagles games. I mean, that dude lives and breathes Philly sports. So it's, it's pretty much a, to me and a lot of people around here and a lot of people across the nation, probably a, a foregone conclusion that he's going to leave Los Angeles and come to Philadelphia. Yeah. I think, you know, the angels are kind of a small market team, but I know Mike Trout is from the area you said in, in Millville, New Jersey, which is closer to Philly, which is like 30 minutes away from where you are. And I think when it comes to Mike Trout, I think he could really, he, his dream would come true, but really, I think by the time his playing career ends, I think he'll end up retiring as a member of the angels. I, I could, you know, I, I can see something like that, a, you know, maybe a one year con one day contract to kind of, you know, signify his retirement. I mean, there's an old saying, no team loves you like the first team that drafts you. So um, I, I could definitely see that happening. He's obviously had some great years with the Angels. Um, so, you know, he's won a couple of MVPs, you know, a, a playoff appearance. Like I, They've underachieved in, in many, many ways. Uh, you know, with the Angels. I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, tying up giant contracts and guys like Pujols and Josh Hamilton and C.J. Wilson. You know, they just really haven't had the cap space to be able to bring in other guys. Um, But I I can certainly see something like that happening. Yeah, and I think with the Angels, you said they're going to be competitive, but they're not going to keep up with the Astros. But, I mean, look with the Angels. I think they're a starting rotation piece away from getting back there. And if Otani's elbow... And then when Otani's healthy in 2020, then watch out when he gets get starts uh, again. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, this the, the rotation really is the only question for me. Tyler Skaggs has never shown that he can stay healthy for a long period of time. Andrew Heaney has been inconsistent. Matt Harvey is just a, a whirlwind of a human being in itself. Um, so who the hell knows what you're going to get from him? May, may his... May his Mets career rest in peace. Um, Trevor Cahill is a guy that can give you some innings, but you know, once they get Otani back next year, being able to fully be in that rotation, and then they can get one more starting rotation piece. This is a good. This is a good team. I mean, this is a really, really good team that they have here as far as their position player talent is concerned. Now, again, I, I don't. You know, you're not getting past the Astros, and I, I think as long as the A's are comprised of what they are you know, being with their young guys in Chapman and Olsen. And, you know, once they get Manaya back next year, obviously they're going to continue to be competitive. You mean Manaya on the A's? If you can – Manaya on the A's, yes. And, and, but, what, you know, you get Otani back pitching next year, you get one more piece, and you get a couple of guys on here, a Skaggs, a Heaney, um, you know, that, that can maybe take that next step and prove themselves. This is a fairly competitive team that can go after a wild card. Spot. Yeah, but, but Otani's not going to pitch this year. He's just going to hit. He's just going to hit, but I mean, that dude, that, that guy's got pop. So, I mean, you know, I, I think he's still going to be a guy that's going to be productive in the middle of the order for them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. For sure. We, now we did a little bit preview, talked about what we discussed, what Chris Woodward has in store for the Rangers. And now that we talked about what Brad Osmus has in store. So in a few weeks, we'll 
we'll be talking about the 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 entire American League West with with the Angels. That's what we'll start with. So I changed my mind on the Dodgers lineup. So I have now is Alex Verdugo leading off, playing left field, then Corey Seager batting second and playing shortstop with Justin Turner obviously hitting third, and then batting fourth is uh, Max Muncie. Hitting fifth is Pollock. Hitting sixth is Bellinger. Hitting seventh is Russell Martin. And hitting eighth is uh, Kike Hernandez over Chris Taylor at second base. Okay. Um, now, let me, now, let me just ask you a couple of questions just following up on that. Number one, so obviously, you, and th- this may not sound like a question, but there's kind of a question hidden in it. You obviously see Verdugo profiling as a, as a leadoff. Yes, player. over Jock Peterson. Absolutely. Because I, when I saw him in spring training, he's a guy that even though he got, he got out – um, he's a guy that just got the job done. He, he got an RBI ground up in, in, in the first game he played in, and then in the second game, and, and he got a sack fly. Yeah, okay, all right. I, I, again, I, I've told you before, I don't really know much about him. Um, so I, you know, I, I'm just going off taking your word for it. Now, the, the interesting thing you said is, you know, you take Chris Taylor out of the lineup. I find his bat to be incredibly versatile. Um, you know, obviously he's got power. Uh, you put him, you know, he, he, I, he profiles to me as a good five, six hitter. Um, I, I think he's got a little bit of a big swing. That's kind of my knock on him, but why do you take him out of your lineup? Because Chris Taylor struck out a lot last year and Kike Hernandez has, has, has answered the bell and and with his offensive game, he really improved a lot last year hitting against righties. And Kike is a guy that I think wants to be in that everyday lineup for the Dodgers. I love I like Kike Hernandez a lot. Very very versatile dude. He's got underrated power. Um uh, again, I like Chris Taylor's power and I like his versatility as well. I mean, you can't go wrong either way with the two. So that's why I changed my mind and that's why for me I I really liked how Kike progressed last year. That's why I have him as the starting second baseman for the Dodgers and he him as the eight hitter and he him hitting behind Russell Martin in the lineup. Okay. All right. I all right. All right. And then when there's days that Austin Barnes starts, then Kike bats seventh, and then Barnes bats eighth. But obviously when there's a left-handed starter and then get Corey Seager the day off, then that's when you move Kike to short and put Chris Taylor at second. Yeah, and, you know, the great thing is is that they're going to be able to mix and match with those two guys. And the the depth is tremendous, obviously, as we've talked about on the Dodgers. But that's why I told you I changed my mind on uh, on the Dodgers lineup because – the reason why I did that was because I just liked how uh, Kike produced last year, and I think having him in the everyday lineup, it's hard to take his bat out of the lineup for Kike Hernandez. Yeah, for sure. I agree with you. That's why I changed my mind with Verdugo leading off and then Kike batting eighth. Okay, no problem. I, I totally understand That's that. why I changed my mind. So, but I still have okay. two, three, four, five, six, seven the same, even, if Verdugo, even with Verdugo leading off and with Kike hitting eighth. Okay. What were we saying? All right. No, okay. I totally got you. All right. So now that being said here, Kershaw is supposed to play catch tomorrow. And we don't know how effective his shoulder is. So if he's if his shoulder's not re- not healthy for opening day for his for his ninth consecutive opening day start, do you see Walker Bueller being the opening day starter if that's a plan B for the Dodgers and what they want to do if Kershaw has to start yeah, in fact, the DL or something? Oh, definitely. In fact, I plug him right in there immediately. I, I don't look at I don't look at any other guy in the Dodgers rotation and and, you know, definitively say that I can, you know, 
trust him as an opening day starter at the moment. I look at Walker Bueller and I slide him right in there immediately. Um, obviously Kershaw, you, you, you know, you want to take it slow. Opening day is not the most imperative thing for him to make um, at the moment. Get him healthy. You know, he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. Get him healthy, allow his shoulder to recover in the right way and make sure that he's healthy for the important times, which is that stretch run at the end. Yeah. So we, we're not right now. The plan is for the Dodgers is that Clayton Kershaw is the opening day starter. And if he isn't, then I, I have Walker Bueller's the opening day starter. And then I have Julio Urias sliding into the rotation in Kershaw's absence. Yeah. And I, I see, I, I would love that to be the case. Um, but, you know, like I've mentioned a couple of times before, when we talk about Julio Urias, um, I, I want him to start a triple A and get that show and get his arm healthy first. And the reason why I want him to start at AAA as opposed to starting at the big leagues. Now he would have that starting role either way in your scenario. But the reason why I want him to start down in AAA is because not only is he, you know, preparing himself to continue to get that workload as a starter, but if you throw him up as the starting in the starting role at the big league level, those are much more higher leverage innings. So he's going to feel a little bit more. He's going to feel a little bit more pressure to kind of, you know, let let it go a little bit and you know, kind of just pitch through. I, I, not really pitch through pain, but pitch through rehabilitation and pitch through, um, you know, just kind of finding his rhythm back as far as his, you know, his arm path goes, arm swing throughout his rotation, his feel on his release. I think he'll have a much more um, you know, calming environment and have the ability to work on that comfortably down in AAA as opposed to throwing him in higher leverage innings early on in the big leagues. I could get what you're saying here, but what Bill Plunkett wrote is that what if Julio Arias proves over the next four weeks that he's healthy and that he could – and that Dave Roberts just said today after his start when the Dodgers beat the Oakland A's is that the door is open for him. And I, I, he was the starter today, and I heard he, he was very sharp today in his spring start. If his do- if the door open if the door's open I mean obviously I consider it with his stuff and you know if he if he proves that he's healthy then go right ahead and 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 plug him in I think the I think what I'm looking for is you know I I want to see later in spring training as we kind of move more toward the season a lot of times what I've seen with guys and this is just my personal experience. Um, a lot of times what I've seen with guys is, you know, if, if you're testing, if you're testing for something, whether that be an adjustment, um, you know, a guy needs to make a roster spot. Um, you know, even, even they do this with the higher profile pitchers, the number one starters and such, you know, they throw them for say four innings or five innings in a start later on in spring training. Maybe they could do something like that you know, throw him in for a larger pitch count or a larger inning cap and see how his shoulder responds over the course of not only that start, but the next day and the day after when that soreness kind of builds up. And if he's, if he's good to go and that bill of health is clean, then by all means, plug him right so in. So right now, right as of, as of right now, I do expect Clayton Kershaw to make that opening day start on March 28th. And, and there's a real chance if he does not, say if, the, if Kershaw's sh- shoulder still bothers him, then I would put. Then I would go to Plan B and put Walker Bueller as the number one. Then Ryu the number two. Then Rich Hill's the number three. Then Maeda slides up to the four, and then Julio Urias gets to the five. 
Yeah, obviously you want Kershaw to be able to start opening day, but it is not the worst thing in the world if he doesn't because I want him healthy. I want my number one starter to log innings when it matters, uh, you know, when you're trying to establish playoff position and then obviously to, you know, continue to build momentum in that stretch run toward the playoffs. So it's possible that that if Kershaw has to start the year on the injured list, then then it's possible that we would see Julio Orias make the opening day opening day roster as the fifth starter. It is possible, and you know, I, like I said, I would prefer him to start in AAA. But I mean, if he if he proves he's healthy and those circumstances uh, show themselves, then he's certainly got the capability as far as his talent goes to be an opening day uh, to be a guy on the opening day roster. It's because the reason why I said that is because the original plan was for Urias to start in AAA, and with Kershaw, we don't know how long he, how long if his shoulders bothering him. I heard he's going to play catch tomorrow. And if Julio Uri- if Kershaw's shoulder still bothers him, and if Urias takes advantage of the opportunities, then you then you could see Urias make the opening day roster. Okay, um, and obviously we'll see how that goes uh, with, with Kershaw. Um, you know, I, I can't imagine his catch is going to go any further than probably about maybe sixty to ninety feet, uh, just to get a feel for that shoulder and see how that uh, you know uh, how that arm swing feels at the end, but. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see how it develops. Yeah, he's going to test it tomorrow when when Kershaw supposed is, is most likely playing catch tomorrow. But 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 he but he's kind of pushing back his throwing program and and the team hasn't uh, hasn't scheduled an MRI yet. But say if the, say assuming tomorrow if uh, if his shoulder still bothers him, then I kind of think the team should kind of take another step and just go for the MRI and see if it's strain if it's fully strained or if it's torn up or all that. Yeah, I would do the same thing. I mean, you can't, uh, you know, you, you better better safe than sorry. Throw him right in there for the MRI immediately and see what's wrong. Let's see how he does tomorrow when he plays catch tomorrow. Yeah, that's going to be the most important thing to determine what you do going forward. But but right now, let's expect Clayton Kershaw being the opening day starter. But if not, then there's a backup plan to have Urias take Kershaw's place in the rotation and then Walker Bueller gets the opening day start if Roberts decides to go that route. Yeah. So that being said, um, my top five rotations for for baseball this year is number one is the Dodgers. Then I have the Washington Nationals. Number two, then number three is the Cleveland Indians. Number four is the uh, New York is the uh, Boston Red Sox. I like their rotation, and the fifth best rotation will go to uh, the Atlanta Braves. You're you're gonna get really mad at me um, for for my rotation. I I can already. I can already tell that you're going to be a little bit mad at me for the way that I have this planned out. Um, So number one, I have the Houston Astros. Uh, Number two, I have the Cleveland Indians. Number three, I have the Washington Nationals. Number four, I have the Boston Red Sox. And number five, I have the New York Mets with the Dodgers sliding in there at six. Yeah, I, I, I knew you, I know you're not going to like that. I mean, I do think the Dodgers have what it takes to have a number one rotation with or without Kershaw, because this starting rotation for the Dodgers is very deep, but with the healthy DeGrom and Syndergaard, that's going to, that's going to put them tied in the top five in rotation. Oh, definitely. And that, and that's pretty much why they're, that's why they're number five um, for me. Uh, just because it's all predicated on health, because when they are healthy, um, you know, uh, the, the, the pure stuff in the arms going out there every day with the Grom, Cinder, Guard, Wheeler, uh, Mats, when he can stay healthy for more than five minutes, 
Uh, that is that that's a prime rotate. That's a very, very good rotation uh, as far as arms are concerned. The only reason that I don't have the Dodgers in the top five um, is it, well, it's actually for a couple of reasons. Number one, I don't know what type of reliability I'm going to get from Rich Hill. Uh, he seems to constantly have blister problems every two minutes. So I don't know. I don't know how many starts I'm going to get out of Rich Hill. Um, I don't know what I'm going to get out of Hunjin Ryu. I like Hunjin Ryu a lot, um, but I, I just don't know what I'm going to get out of him as far as uh, his health is concerned. And, um, you know, I, I like Julio Urias a lot. Um, I, I think he'll eventually slide into the rotation, but for me, he starts in AAA. And then I, I think Walker Bueller is going to be incredible, but how does he respond in that second season? So for me, there's a couple of question marks with obviously what are really, really good rotation pieces around one of the best pitchers in baseball and Clayton Kershaw. Walker Bueller is too good to have a sophomore slump. I, I a hundred percent agree with you. As far as the stuff goes, he's electric and I love him so much, but I, you know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, anything can happen. I don't think he'll have a sophomore slump at all. Um, like I've mentioned, I think he's a guy that has 18 win potential and I think he'll be able to put his name into that Cy Young race. But, you know, like I said, anything can happen. My main question marks really were just with Rich Hill and, and Hunjin Ryu. Ryu, I think, is going to have a bounce back healthy year. I think after, after accepting that one year qualifying offer, he's a guy that's hungry to have a full year and and be a guy that's going to be a consistent number three. I definitely I, I can definitely see that, obviously him having that that qualifying offer really kind of gives him that motivation to go out there and and prepare every fifth day to be able to make the best starts that he possibly can and i saw his spring training start on sunday and he looked really good yeah he's i i think he'll have an effective year he's a couple of years removed off of some uh you know a little bit of a bumpy road as far as injuries are concerned but you know i i think he'll be able to bounce back quite nice yeah and then and then my top five bullpens this year in baseball are the Dodgers bullpen, then the Cardinals bullpen, then the Yankees bullpen. The Mets are going to have a very good bullpen this year, no doubt about that. And then I have my to round out the top five in bullpens. I have that being the uh, Colorado Rockies with with, with led by Wade Davis. Okay, um, so my bullpen, uh, I, my bullpen order, uh, I have the Yankees number one. Uh, the Brewers, number two, Dodgers at three, uh, Cardinals at four, and the New York Mets oh, at five. Oh, I changed my mind on my top five in the bullpen. I have the I have the Milwaukee Brewers as my second-ranked bullpen behind the Dodgers with the Yankees third, then the Cardinals fourth, and then the Rockies fifth. I love the Rockies bullpen as well. Um, I, I think that, uh, the only thing I'm looking for for them is some consistency because it was just – it was just brutally up and down last year for them. Um, what's funny about the Cardinals is that even though, you know, they, they obviously have some some decent pieces in their bullpen, but, you know, a, a lot of what I love about them is just pretty much two guys, and that's Andrew Miller, who's, a uh, you know, obviously been one of the best left-handed relievers in the game, and then Jordan Hicks, who I, I think is going to become one of the premier closers in the league, and he's just – and he's probably going to end up hitting 106 this year and somehow managed to have more sync on his fastball and it's not going to make any sense and he's going to defy gravity and it's going to be really cool to watch yeah it's going to be kind of fun to watch here when you watch the top bullpens in baseball i think i said yankees at third right mm-hmm. where is it yes you did with the brewers second yes so with that being said here uh 
let's also break down the uh, NL leaders in home runs and uh, batting average and strikeouts and wins. So the wins leader in the National League this year, uh, I still have I still have that being Clayton Kershaw as as the wins leader in the National League, and then the strikeout leader will be uh, Walker Bueller with his stuff, and then the and then who will lead the league in ERA is Jacob Degrom. And then for the position player standpoint, who I think is going to lead the National League in homers this year, I could see that being Cody Bellinger with the batting average being led by uh, Corey Seager. And then hits will be led by Corey Seager. Okay. Um, all right. So uh, let's see. Uh, as far as um, so as far as the pitching goes, uh, ERA, I'm right there with you with DeGrom. Uh, strikeouts, I'm going to give that one to Max Scherzer. And then for wins – I'm giving it to Walker Bueller. Uh, like I said, I think this is a guy that's going to be 18, you know, an 18 game winner this year. So I'm giving those, that, uh, that category to Walker Bueller um, batting average. I'm going to give that one to this kind of boiled down to a couple of guys for me. Um, but I, I think I'm going to agree with you there. I'm going to give it to Corey Seager home runs. I'm going to give it to Juan Soto. That's an interesting. That's a little bit of an interesting pick for most people there, but I'm going to give that one to Juan Soto. I think this is a guy that's going to ha- have an unbelievable year, uh, a 35 to 40 home run guy for me this year. And then as far as RBIs go, I'm going to give that one to my a dude that's going to be a huge pain in my ass, but a dude that I love in Ronald Acuna Jr. down there in in uh, in Atlanta. I think my R- my RBI leader for the National League this year. I think it's going to belong to Justin Turner, a former Met of yours, who I think has turned out to be a leader and a captain of the Dodgers. He's turned out to be a tremendous player. I just only hope that uh, that I, I just only wish that that potential could have been foreseen with the New York Mets. But that's exactly what they do. They did this with Turner. They did this with Carlos Gomez. They can find guys to a certain style that they think that they should play because of a skill set that they have. When in reality. These are guys that you just let them go out there and play. And, you know, they, they changed up Turner's swing to allow him to kind of be more free, have the higher leg kick, and he's turned into one of the best third basemen and in the I, game. And I said who will lead the, the lead, lead the National League in hits is Corey Seager. Yeah, I like, I like Corey Seager uh, for a, a – I like Corey Seager, obviously, for um, a, a comeback player of the year, obviously, and I think he's going to be a sneaky MVP candidate as well. Corey Seager is my pick to win the National League MVP, like I said before. Yeah, and I think he's going to be a um, – I, I certainly think he's going to be very high up there in the discussion. I think he's going to bounce back uh, in an incredible way this and year. And then once we, uh, once we end the American League discussions, then we'll, pick, we'll predict our, lead, our, our, our leaders in home runs and hits and batting average RBIs for the American League side, along with the uh, pitching stats for the American League. Sure, sure, no problem, and that that's gonna be that's gonna be fun because I have I have Vlad Guerrero Jr. leading one of those categories. I'll uh, obviously when we get to it, I'll tell you which one that will and be. And you said he'll win the the American League Rookie of the Year unanimously. Not even close. It's not even gonna be you, close. I think Eloy Jimenez and Danny Jansen will kind of challenge him a little bit, but I think Eloy Jimenez will be the runner up. I think Eloy Jimenez gets maybe one first place vote. At the most, that's the only first place vote that's going to somebody that is not named Vlad Guerrero Jr. That's a unanimous rookie of the year. He's going to run away with it. It's not going to be close. And then let's do our 
recap of the Dodgers and Mets, Cactus and Grapefruit League games. Today, the Dodgers played against the A's, and uh, Julio Urias played very well. And then, un- and then they lost to the Royals, and then they beat the Cubs. And then uh, for the Mets, you guys played the uh, Marlins today. And uh, and I've also been hearing that Todd Frazier's hurt, and then Jed Lowry's going to miss opening day. So, so tell me your thoughts on that with Todd Frazier being hurt and also Jed Lowry potentially missing opening day. Well, Todd Frazier, to me, I don't really worry about that. Um, you know, I, I don't really have him slated in my opening day lineup anyway, but he now may end up being in there um, with the absence of Jed Lowry. Um, look, uh, look, to me, it's obviously I don't love the fact that right off the bat there's an injury problem, but it, it does not completely make me mad if he's going to miss opening day because I want these guys to be healthy for when it counts. Um so that that's that's really my take on that. And then a really interesting thing that I actually just saw while we were talking, um, which just like this is the most New York Mets thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Um, Brandon Nimmo was cooking chicken and undercooked the chicken that he was cooking and got himself sick. So now the Mets plan on teaching him how to cook, which is literally the most New York Mets thing. I think I might have ever heard in, and I've been a Mets fan my entire life. That's one of the most New York Mets things I've ever heard. It's like when you hear something stupid about the Cleveland Browns and you're like, that's the most Cleveland Browns thing ever. This is the most New York Mets thing ever. I don't understand how this, I don't understand how something like this happens. Yeah. I think when it comes to breakout players on the Mets, I have Brandon Nemo on my list. And I think a guy who I think, one of your favorite rookies who I think is going to make the opening day roster is the team starting first baseman is a guy I've been hearing is hitting a lot of homers, Peter Alonzo. Oh yeah. He's, he's putting great swings on the ball. First swing is spring training hits that hits a ball deep into center field uh, way over that fence, showing the tremendous power. Got me certainly excited. Um, you know, sh- much more compact swing than I would have thought that he had. Um, I got to give him a lot of, cr- I got to give him a lot of credit for that with the ability to have great power, but not have such a tremendously complicated swing. He doesn't overswing, holds his hands pretty low, all, almost toward his belly button and just, you know, rolls those hips open and lets his hands fly. And it's really, really something to watch. And I think he's going to be their opening day first baseman and put up really nice numbers for them. Yeah. Good piece to their young core. And then, then tomorrow the Mets play the Cardinals and the Tigers, then the Astros again, and then the Cardinals, and then they have split squad matchups with the world champion Red Sox, with the, and then the Astros, and then the Marlins again when it comes to the New York Mets. Yeah, and I'm just – I'm continuing to look for these young guys to show out. Um, today I saw really, really – I saw a nice at-bat from a guy who I, I think is going to be a little bit off the radar in, in Mets fans' minds, but he's certainly on my mind, and that's J.D. Davis. He's a former – uh, top prospect with the um, with the Houston Astros, and t- today he you know he hit a, a really really deep home run in the left center field, showed some nice power. Um, so I'm just continuing to look forward to watching these young guys go out there and and put their best foot forward. Absolutely. So my final MLB thought is uh, when we talk about our MLB show next week, like I emailed you, I'm looking forward to a good discussion when we talk about the Philadelphia Phillies and the rebuilding Miami Marlins before we that's going to be before we jump into the American League West. Yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. Uh, my final MLB thought is when we 
have our discussion next week. We're going to be starting off with the idea that Bryce Harper is going to be signing with either the Phillies or the Giants. My inclination right now is that he should go to the Phillies, but he may end up with the Giants because of the money. I think he could end up with either one, uh, but I do believe the Dodgers are going to be out of the Bryce Harper race. And then when we talk next week about the Phillies and the Marlins, we'll talk about the Phillies being a riser and the Marlins still a team that's still trying to find their rebuild mode. And, and they still have some talent, but not that many when it comes to the Marlins. Yeah. Like they don't have an ace. I don't think Jose Orina is the guy that's a, that's really an ace. Yeah. They need to continue to develop. They have a, uh, they have some nice young players. You talk about Lewis Brinson being one of those guys. Um, they have a guy, uh, you know, obviously some guys down in the minor leagues that, you know, now they acquire Sixto Sanchez in that JT Mayo Muto trade. That's going to add some pitching depth down in the minor leagues. Uh, they're going to get a guy in Tyler Kolek, um, you know, off of a couple of injuries. There's a hard-throwing right-hander uh, continue to develop in their in their um, organization. A, a long way to go for the Miami Marlins, but they have some pieces to get them on the right track. Absolutely. So stay right here, Keith. And when we come back, when we do talk about the NFL episode, I have a change in mind for Giants fans who I have the Giants taking a quarterback in my latest mock draft. And then we're going to talk about what's in store for the Baltimore Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers in the upcoming offseason for them and who the favorite is to win the AFC North.